Well, greetings, WCPC. Pastor Bart here. I'm coming to you from our porch, which I like to call our coffee porch. It's a great place to sit in the morning. And by the time you see this, I'll actually be on family vacation. We left yesterday, Saturday. Here you are on Sunday. And uh, I am just spying on you. That's why I'm back. Not really, of course. I can't see you, though you can see me. But I'm here because I want to call out a couple people in our church. And they are Regina Lau and Francine Nass. And the reason I say that is we're going to be talking about joy today. And these are two women that I have seen exuding the joy of the Lord. The, the joy of the Lord is their strength, as Nehemiah might say. And that's not some sort of smaltzy happiness. Uh, what I mean by that is I have watched them, even in the midst of a life that has involved pain and loss, uh, exude a deep, settled confidence that God is in control. And maybe one of the climactic experiences with Regina and Francine with respect to their joy is about a month or so ago, Katie and I were shopping in Costco and all of a sudden from across the store, I hear, Pastor Bart, Pastor Bart. And Regina and Francine are there shopping for the Naomi Chili Cook-Off and they come over and give me perhaps the two biggest hugs I've ever received. Certainly the two biggest hugs I've ever received in Costco. And it was just so beautiful to see as again, the, they exude such joy in the Lord and it really is their strength. And so let me now lead us in our reading of scripture. Firstly, from Galatians chapter five, verse one. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And then to verse 22 through 25. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And then finally, our gospel parable is from Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 and 45. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning again. Uh, my name is Tommy Branagh. I'm one of the pastors here at WCPC and just so thrilled to be able to open up God's Word with you this morning as we continue on in our series, What Does a Christian Look Like? And if you've been with us for the last couple weeks, this is week three of this series. Hopefully what I'm about to say uh, does not come as a surprise, but if this is your first week with us during this series, perhaps this will be surprising. But really the idea behind this sermon series is that what a Christian looks like is nothing relating to their physical appearance. It is not something external, but what a Christian looks like is somebody who reflects the character of God. 
someone who's being remade into his image. And one of the places in scripture where we just find the most beautiful descriptions of God's character and of what Christian character looks like is here in the book of Galatians in this list we call the fruit of the spirit. And so this summer what we're doing is walking through that list, all of those different qualities that make up the fruit of the spirit and looking to see um, what does it mean for us to live with those? How do we become filled with those? How do we exude those? And we are partnering them with a parable. So Bart just read the parable that we're going to be looking at this morning. And today's topic I am so excited for is joy. Today we get to talk about joy and what a just incredible story of joy to begin us there. Uh, What is joy? How do we describe joy? Uh, It's a feeling I would say of deep satisfaction, uh, elation, happiness, There's kind of this combination of like there's a deep peace in joy, but it's also this effervescent feeling. Uh, Joy is just a wonderful quality. It's a wonderful thing to feel. It's wonderful to experience in someone else, perhaps if they're shouting at you from across a Costco and running up to hug you. It just, it's a wonderful thing. And really joy can come across a wide spectrum of experiences. Uh, Joy comes in big things. I felt an enormous amount of joy when I got married. That was a joyful event. Uh, Joy can come in small pleasures. I feel a different kind of joy, but an enormous amount of joy when I discover that my wife has made cinnamon rolls. Very different joys, both joyful. We can feel joy when something terrible has come to an end, right? When When a sickness is concluded or when a war comes to an end, there's joy at the, you know, conclusion of that pain. We also feel joy at the beginning of something wonderful. It's why a birth is such a joyful event. We can feel joy in accomplishment. Maybe it's a graduation, a promotion, a new job. Uh, I have been feeling an enormous amount of joy in an accomplishment I had nothing to do with, which was the Warriors Championship. I'm on like day nine of joy from that. Uh, And joy can come through experiences. It can be watching a sunset, seeing art. Um, There's a whole bunch of different ways. So joy comes in many shapes and sizes. Now, the obvious kind of thrust behind this sermon series is that each item on this list, each part of the fruit of the Spirit, is something that we want more of, right? Last week, Bart talked about love. We want to become people who are more loving. As we talk about joy, we want to become more joyful. And I think the question for us is, how does that happen? How do we become people who live with more joy, who bring more joy into the world, And this is a place where I think that the metaphor Paul is working with in the book of Galatians is really, really helpful for us. The picture of fruit. Now, imagine for a moment that I were to tell you that you needed to make an orange. How would you go about making an orange? You can't really, like, will yourself to an orange. You can't effort yourself to an orange. Nobody's going to be able to make an orange during the course of the sermon today. There's not really like a way to put it together. The way that you get an orange is actually by cultivating a tree, right? If you want an orange, what you have to do is you have to plant a tree and you need to put it in a place that has the right combination of temperature and sunlight and shade. You have to tend to the soil. It needs food and fertilizer and water. To get an orange, what you actually have to do is cultivate a tree and then that tree will produce the fruit. And I think that's really helpful for us today as well, because there would be a temptation, I think, throughout this series, and especially with the topic of joy, to say that what it means to be more joyful is to really, like, effort yourself to just being happier, 
to smile more, to try more, to just kind of like, you know, work for joy. But I don't think that's the invitation that we have today. I think the invitation is to be people who are cultivating the kind of life through which the Spirit will then produce joy. And what we're supposed to focus on is much more the cultivating than the sort of like working ourselves up to that feeling of happiness. So the big question for us today really is going to be how do we cultivate a life that produces joy? What does that look like? And I don't know how you walked into this room today, and if you're joining us online, I don't know, you know, the full circumstances of your life, but one of the things I often think about in joy, one of the the main obstacles I see to joy in my own life is pain and sadness and grief. And I think that for many of us, we might be thinking, well, cultivating a life of joy would actually mean cultivating a life that removes as much pain and sadness and grief as possible. That's how we would get to live a life that is more filled with joy. And what I just want to say at the start today is that the kind of joy that we are reading about in Scripture, the kind of joy that Paul is inviting us into that the Spirit produces, is not a joy that is in conflict with or at odds with pain and sadness and grief. In fact, I think they go hand in hand What we see across the story of Scripture is that we have a God who calls us into both, to be people of joy and to be people of mourning. In fact, we're told this in Ecclesiastes that there's times for both. Uh, We see this in God's character himself, that he is a God who rejoices and delights, and he's also a God who grieves. Jesus is someone who celebrates at a party with wine, and he is also the Jesus who wept. And in fact, as a church, historically, we have a season that is set aside for grief and mourning and pain. The season of Lent is really a time to reflect on the brokenness of the world. And I think the reason that these go hand in hand, the reason that God uh, makes space for both in our life is because you kind of have to cultivate the same quality as a person to experience both, right? Joy involves presence. It involves investment. It means loving something, caring about something. To delight in something means you've sort of given yourself to it. And you cannot do that without also risking the loss and pain and sadness that comes through living in a broken world. And so I just would want to say so clearly today that if you are here and you are in a season of grief or sadness or brokenness, you are welcome here. And we hope that this would be a place where we can walk in that with you. Uh, where you would know that there's something holy about that and that it is welcome here. And I certainly hope that you would not hear today's sermon as an invitation to just put a smile on. No, no, no. This is a place where tears are also welcome. So cultivating joy does not mean avoiding pain and sadness and grief. That is certainly not Scripture's instruction. So what does it mean to cultivate a life with joy? How do we find God producing joy in us and through us? Well, here's a place where our parable for today is so helpful, and our parable is really going to be making the argument that the source of true joy, the kind of joy that Paul is talking about, comes from being connected to God. It comes from living life in his kingdom, that God is ultimately the source of our joy. And so this parable is going to point us to that, and it's also going to tell tell us a little bit about what it means to cultivate a life without joy. So let's look at this parable and unpack it for just a moment. It's very brief. We're just going to kind of focus on the first. There's two basically similar parables. We're just going to focus on the first of them. 
Jesus is teaching and he says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. So quick, kind of easy to understand parable, but I want to give us a little bit of context here because um, we don't do a lot of finding treasure in fields these days. So basically what's happening here is in this day and age, banking is not so much a thing. There's not uh, a chase down on the corner where you can go safely stash your cash. So if you have a large sum of money and you're trying to keep it safe, one of the options that you would have available to you is just to bury it. And preferably you would want to bury all of your uh, worldly treasures in somewhere that belongs to you. So if you own land, you go find a safe corner of your field, you bury it there, great. Now you know where it is when you need to find it. But as sometimes happens in life, people pass away. And so it would not be uncommon for someone to have buried some treasure, no one else knows where it is, they pass away, the land goes to somebody else, and there is now unclaimed treasure. And that is what the person in this parable has found. They have discovered some unclaimed treasure. It is a a lost inheritance somewhere. And so they say, man, uh, the owner of that field is going to own that treasure. So wouldn't it be great if I were the owner of that field, because then I'd be the owner of that treasure. So that's what the person does. They sell everything they have, they get the money, they buy the field, and now they have the treasure. So that is kind of our, our parable for today. Well, where do we find joy in that story? Where does it enter in? And I would argue that there's joy really in two places within it. There's joy in the beginning of it as this person goes and discovers that treasure, right? There's this kind of initial burst of, oh my gosh, how lucky am I? I can't believe I found this treasure. And then there's joy at the end of the parable when the person becomes the owner of that treasure, when they've accomplished their goal, they have they bought the field, the treasure is now theirs. That's a joy as well, an even different joy than the first one. And yet in between those two joys is a different process. Between the joy at the beginning and the joy at the end, there is a journey for this person. And that journey involves hard work. Um, I've never sold all of my possessions, but I would imagine it involves a decent amount of work. There's determination. I mean, this person has got to be thinking halfway through selling their couch and the like ninth person coming and asking them why they're selling everything they have, whether they're crazy. Uh, So there's kind of a, a level of determination to actually stick through the plan, to see through selling everything that you have. There's a measure of sacrifice that this person finds that, you know, obviously in the end they will have more than they do now, but selling everything you have comes with a certain amount of work and sacrifice. And there's risk in this. I mean, this is, it's a pretty solid plan, but I wouldn't say it's foolproof. And so this person is sort of stepping out with some risk. And so between the joy comes hard work, determination, sacrifice, and risk. Now, this is not really a parable about managing your finances. This is not about how do you deal with inflation. This is not about your long-term retirement account. This is actually a parable that Jesus tells about the kingdom of God. And here, I think, is sort of the message that this parable gives us. The message is this. The kingdom of God is here, and all are invited to enter it. And that should bring us just a sense of unbelievable joy, right? The news that the kingdom of God is here, that God is reclaiming this earth, 
is joyful news. But what we also see is that living in the kingdom of God involves hard work, determination, sacrifice, and risk. But the fruit of that life is even more joy. And I know that can maybe seem a little bit abstract, but actually as we read through the New Testament, as we read through the story of the Gospels and Acts, that is essentially what we are seeing in the life of the disciples. That these are people who, prior to meeting Jesus, are just kind of going about their lives, right? We've got tax collectors and fishermen and people who are just in various professions. And they are all of a sudden confronted with something that brings them unbelievable joy. They meet Jesus, and they hear Jesus' preaching and his teaching, and he's come with this announcement that is honestly too good to be true. The kingdom of God is at hand. The promised Savior, who God has been talking about for centuries, in fact for millennia, has finally arrived. God is beginning in a new way his work of setting things right in the world. And as they listened to Jesus' teaching, they're just getting this picture of what it is Jesus has come to do, to care for the poor and the lost, to bind up the brokenhearted, to heal the sick, to free the oppressed, right? Jesus comes and he says, I am making all things new. And the disciples receive this news with just joy. They can't believe it, right? The, The news of the kingdom is good news, And so having received this joyful news, they kind of take the next step and they say, well, well, what now, Jesus? What what do we do in light of the news of the coming of your kingdom? How do we respond? Like this joy is moving me to act. And what Jesus says is, come and follow me. Come and see what life in my kingdom looks like. Come learn how to model yourself after me, pattern yourself after me, follow in my footsteps. Come see life in the kingdom. And the reality is, and Jesus is never shy about this, life in the kingdom, life with Jesus, involves a lot of hardship. It involves determination. It involves risk. It involves sacrifice. And as we watch the disciples across the Gospels and through the book of Acts, what we see is that living in the kingdom, saying yes to the invitation from Jesus to enter into his family, does come with a lot of hard work and comes with a lot of change. So these are men who see their lives change, right? They leave behind their jobs. They're upending expectations for their families. Uh, Everything about their life begins to look different. They are invited into new social circles. These are people who kind of lived around home. They knew everyone in the neighborhood. Everyone knew them. They're going into the family business. And all of a sudden, Jesus is asking them to just like completely expand their world. These are going to be now people who are traveling all around the Mediterranean, who are engaging with people from different cultures and backgrounds, from people who have kind of totally different views on the world. So their social circles just completely change. And I think the biggest thing for them is that they are invited into a life in which their character has to change. They are invited to become people who are kind. They are invited to become people who love their enemies, right? I mean, you just can't, as you read through the stories of the disciples and Jesus, the disciples are really, really keen on um, defeating their enemies, whether it's kind of having like you know, supremacy within the rivalry of the disciple crew. Bart mentioned this last week, but they're like trying to call down fire on people. Like they are people who uh, are happy to best their enemies. 
But a part of walking with Jesus is to say, nope, that's actually not how we operate anymore. We are now people who love our enemies. And so they have to go through this process of inner transformation. They are invited to love and care for the poor and the sick and the weak and the vulnerable, right? Like life with Jesus for the disciples has a lot of hardship and they face opposition. And in fact, we see people who kind of will experience that initial joy of hearing about the kingdom of God, of seeing a picture of the life that Jesus invites them into, who are unwilling to do that kind of middle part, to walk that harder path. In fact, there's one story that's told of a, a rich young man who comes to Jesus, and he's filled with joy. He's like, I, what must I do to become a part of what you're doing? How do I get some of that joy? Because this is amazing. And Jesus tells that young man uh, what he needs to do is to sell his possessions and to care for the poor. He needs to be willing to walk a path that involves sacrifice and risk and hard work and determination. And that young man is not willing to do that part. And so what we see is that he goes away sad. But the disciples, the disciples are those who having found the joy or having found the treasure, sell everything. They go all in. They say, Jesus, we are with you. Lead us where you will lead us. We will follow. Do the work in us that you need to do because we believe that joy is found in you. And here's what's really just kind of beautiful and amazing. As you read the story of the disciples, and in fact, as you read their own writing, they will consistently describe their lives in the same way. Over and over and over again in the epistles, which are the letters written in the New Testament, there are letters that are written by Paul and by Peter and by John and by Jude. We have one um, that we're not totally sure who wrote in the book of Hebrews. And this theme that emerges in every single one of those letters is joy. As these people reflect back on their lives, as they see where Jesus has led them, what he has called them to do, they say, yeah, there's been a lot of hard stuff. We've gone through some real challenges. I've been on many boats that have sunk. That's Paul. I've been in jail a lot. That's almost all of them. Uh, I have been opposed by tons of people. People have been angry at me all the time. I've, I mean, they just kind of list off. These are not people who were whisked out of the challenges of life. They say, I know all of those. And what I have found walking with Jesus is joy. My life has brought me joy. And you can see that they find joy in all kinds of different aspects of living in God's kingdom. They find joy in the fellowship of the church. I mean, it just even comes through in these letters that they write that they are so deeply moved by the family that God has called them into. You cannot read the letters of the New Testament and not see how much love the disciples have for the church, for this weird, kind of diverse, strange body from every social class, from every language, from every region, this family that has been brought together, they love it. They are filled with joy at being a part of God's family. They have joy in the work that they're doing. They really cannot believe that they get to go and share the good news of the kingdom with other people, that they get to invite others to be a part of what Jesus is doing. They love getting to care for the poor and the widows and the sick. Like, there is joy for them in that work. And they rejoice in their fellowship with God. It is so clear how much they just savor the fellowship and closeness and kinship that they have with Jesus and in the Spirit. And let me just read for you a few verses kind of spanning um, the letters of the New Testament. So this is from Paul in Philippians. He says, So you too 
should be glad and rejoice with me. In 2 Corinthians, he writes, I am greatly encouraged. In, our, in all of our troubles, my joy knows no bounds. James writes, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Peter writes, even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. And John writes, we write this to make our joy complete. What does this mean for all of us? Well, I think it means that the path to joy for us is much the same as it is in this parable and for the early followers of Jesus. The good news of the kingdom is pronounced to us as well. God is doing a work of restoration and healing and transformation in this world. And the invitation is there for anybody to enter into his family, to become a part of his kingdom. And that is joyful, good news. Now, living in that kingdom, following Jesus, does not pull you out of the difficulties and pain of the world. It doesn't mean you won't face hardship. In fact, he promises that there will be hardship. But the fruit of that work, the fruit of following Jesus, of pursuing him, is a life that will bring you deep and rich and lasting joy. The Spirit will produce in you godly joy. So you cultivate joy by following Jesus. And I just want to close, uh, I'm going to pray for us in a little bit here, the prayer of John Stott, which is how we're going to close um, every one of these sermons. But before, I, I just want to share a, a personal story as well. Because the honest truth is, you know, one of the joys that I have as a pastor is getting to hear about the journeys of other people as they follow Jesus. And I will just say this pattern is one that I hear over and over and over again from people. That the things that are most meaningful and joyful in their lives are the places that God has led them to and the gifts that Jesus has given them. And not in a sort of trite way, not in a way that ignores the painful realities of life, but just to say, I could never have imagined what Jesus would do in my life and I'm so grateful that he has. And I would say that is my story as well. I could tell you a hundred different ways that that has happened, but I will just close by sharing one. My freshman year of college, um, I went to college out in Chicago, and my very first class, the, I was a Christian college, and the professor's son came in. And he said, hey, I'm a, a youth pastor in a local church, and I need volunteers, so if anyone's interested. And at that point, um, I was a believer, I followed Jesus, and I, I knew that he'd called us to be a part of a church, and I knew that Jesus commanded us to make disciples. So I kind of said, yeah, I, have, I don't know who you are, I literally don't know the name of the church that you work for, but I know that this is the kind of thing that I'm supposed to be doing, so I raised my hand, I said, yeah, I can do that. And I, on my first day of college, became a small group leader for a group of seventh grade boys. And I was, ex there was joy <laughs> that immediately met hard work, determination, sacrifice, and risk. And I'll just say, I, uh, it was hard at first. You know, if you were here today as a guest or a visitor, 
Um, being new in a church is tough. I have been there before. You feel awkward. It's a little bit lonely. You feel like everybody else knows each other. And I felt that way for a long, for a long time at that church. Uh, I was immediately overwhelmed by seventh grade boys. I did not know what I'd gotten myself into. And so I kind of just felt like I'm not up to the task. I'm not that good at this. Um, and in fact, I kind of struggled with that role for the first year and a half, so much so that I kept trying to get out of it. I kept applying for other like jobs and positions at my college that would let me say, oh, I can't serve anymore. Um, and I didn't get any of them, so I had no reason to quit. So I just had to stick with it. And what I can say now is that that is one of the most deeply meaningful things I have ever done in my life. I have more gratitude for leading that group of boys. It has given me more joy than I could ever have imagined. I led them for six years, so till they graduated from high school. And that group has become, it's going to make me, um, it, it makes me teary to think about. I have celebrated at their weddings. I have met their kids. We are now, my wife and I are just good friends with many of them still. And getting to know them and love them, to see them grow up in the Lord, to find the fellowship and friendship of discipling those young men into adults, is, it has been so rich, I can't even begin to describe how grateful I am for it. And I think this is the invitation that we have from God, is to say, come and follow me. You're not always going to know where I'm going to lead you. It's not always going to make sense. There's going to be a lot of difficulty. Uh, there's going to be a lot of hard work along the way. But if you will trust me, if you will hear my invitation as a good thing and come and follow me, I will produce in you the kind of joy you can't even imagine. So brothers and sisters, that's the invite we have. And to that end, let me pray, asking that God would work this way in our lives. Heavenly Father, I pray that this day I may live in your presence and please you more and more. Lord Jesus, I pray that this day I may take up my cross and follow you. Holy Spirit, I pray that this day you will fill me with yourself and cause your fruit to ripen in my life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Amen.